Try My Best Practice, the evidence-based electronic health record system created by therapists for therapists. With responsive customer support and a comprehensive how-to library of step-by-step screenshots, it's no wonder My Best Practice has five stars on Google, Trustpilot, Captera, and Software Advice outranking other EHRs. My Best Practice was the first EHR choosing therapy awarded five out of five stars for its excellence. And Captera awarded My Best Practice this year's Emerging Favorite EHR. My Best Practice makes evidence-based care seamless with scheduled auto-scored and automatically charted routine outcome measures, customizable interventions, symptom checklist, and an easy-to-use note system for evidence-based therapies. Having an EHR you could trust is a game-changer for running a successful, stress-free practice. If you are an evidence-based therapist, My Best Practice is your EHR. Try My Best Practice free for 14 days. Get an additional three months free by using mbpractice.com sanity. Use that link today and see why everyone who switches loves it. The link can be found in our show notes. So many people are looking to live happier, more stress-free lives. We provide interviews from mental health experts across various fields because you know finding quality information isn't always easy. Let's find more sanity together. Welcome back to the third episode uh, with John Abramowitz on OCD. Uh, We just covered in the last episode looking at what treatment for OCD looks like, what we're trying to achieve, uh, some pitfalls that we're trying to avoid, and what effective treatment looks like. Um, We briefly touched on using value work in doing treatment for for OCD. And so basically what I wanted to do was to spend a minute talking about that. We'll get into medication versus therapy and then uh, what it looks like at the end of treatment. Uh, So, I mean, how would you describe using value-oriented behavior when it comes to doing exposure work? And why might that be important? Yeah. So in addition to helping people to reduce their obsessions and, and compulsions, you know, we want to help people with OCD be able to get back into their lives and have productive lives and do the things that are important to them that make them happy in their in their life. Um, and so I think that it's important to um, clarify what a person's values are. Now, I learned this from Mike Tuhig, who is an ACT therapist, and we worked together on a a study, I mentioned it before, on um, an ACT-based uh, exposure therapy. And he kind of taught me the importance of clarifying a patient's values. So we're not just doing exposure therapy for the heck of it. We're doing it so that the person can get back into their life and enjoy the things that are that are important to them. How does that translate into, into practice? One activity that I do with not everyone, but with more and more people who, who come in in the, in the, towards the beginning of therapy, there's a values clarification exercise. It's called the values bullseye. And you help people. I won't get into all the details, but you basically help people to identify what are the important things and like what do they want their life to be about? Right. And we identify like, I don't know, five to 10 different uh, things in in their life, maybe as far as their relationships with other people go, or as their work or school goes, or their leisure time, or their personal health. We identify them, and we take a look at how much of those things affected by 
OCD? To, to what degree are each of those five to 10 different important areas of their life affected by OCD? And we're going to use that information as the reason to do exposure therapy. So some of these things, they're, they're having trouble with school, let's just say, or performing at work, or they're having trouble with, with their relationship. Well, that's a good reason to do exposure therapy. Something as challenging and difficult as exposure therapy, um, there's some you know incentive there if you say, well, yeah, if I do this, um, not only will I feel better, but maybe my relationships will get better. Maybe I'll be able to function at, at work or at school better. Okay. And, and of course, then the person will be able to, to do those things, which is, is wonderful. So when we're doing exposure, we're going to tie that into those valued activities. And I think I mentioned this before, but let's go back to the example that we were talking about before of the person who they, they think that they hit their, uh, they hit someone with their car, right? So maybe they're driving home from, from work. Uh, at like five o'clock and they hit a, a pedestrian, they, they get an obsession, they hit a pedestrian, they of course didn't really hit one. And now they're home. Now it's, it's, it's later in the evening and they're sitting down to, uh, have some nice time. Maybe they're going to watch a movie with their, with their, their spouse or their partner, right? And at, at their home. And this person is just having obsessions over and over again. Oh no, what if, what if, what if? I can't possibly watch this movie and spend quality time with my, partner with my family, if this obsession is going through my head, I've got to go check or I've got to go in my room and try to figure this out. Or I, I can't be present. I, I, you know, the person's not able to, you know, to, to be present in the moment and enjoy the, or not enjoy, but just show up for the, you know, uh, family time, relationship time. Well, what I want is I want that person to learn that yes, you can, you can show up, you can watch a show, you can go to bed, you can go to school, you can do whatever, be intimate with your partner, even if that thought is going through your mind. So we're going to tie exposures to the valued behaviors. So remember that script we were talking about where you're going to write out, you know, maybe I hit this person, maybe I didn't, or now the police are going to show up at my door. I want them to do the exposure, not just in a room by themselves where they're just kind of waiting for their anxiety to go down, but I want them to do it when they're in that moment. They don't have to tell other people that they're thinking about it. They can go somewhere, read the script, or have a reminder. Maybe they, you know, I don't know, put a, a, a C for car. They write it on their, on their hand, and they're going to look at it while they're, watching the, while they're watching the movie, while they're with their, their, their loved ones. And they're going to teach themselves I can show up for this even when I have the obsessional thought, even when I'm doing the exposure, even when I haven't done a ritual, right? So I'm, I touch the floor. Again, another example. I touch the floor. I'm all contaminated. Well, I can't eat when I'm contaminated. No way. I, I, I can't do it, right? And, and, I, and tonight I'm going out with some friends and we're going to have a great meal. Oh, no. How am I going to be able to do this? I want that person to learn, yeah. You can go out with your friends, have a nice meal, even when you're contaminated. So let's touch the floor, and then you're going to go out with your friends. And it might be difficult, it might be challenging. But if you get in there and you stick with it and you focus on what you're doing, and by the way, that you're contaminated, right? We don't want to distract ourselves from that. You will learn that you might not feel great the whole time, but you will see that you can show up. You can do these things even when you're having anxiety, even when you're having obsessions, even when you're having uh, uncertainty. And so that's how I define kind of values-based exposure. It's a very acty 
acceptance and commitment therapy kind of uh, approach. Um, and, and again, if you're a good exposure therapist, and even if you don't know ACT, maybe you're doing this. Um, ACT doesn't have a monopoly on, on values, but they sure do make it more explicit in ACT than it ever was in regular exposure and response prevention. It, it was always there, but it was more implied. But ACT makes it more explicit. And I just think that, I think that's wonderful. And so to me, that's values-based exposure. We want to get the most bang from, from our buck from each exposure. So it's not just about let's wait around for that anxiety to go down, but let's go and let's, 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 you know, let's lean into it. And, and people sometimes will say, and I hear patients and clinicians say this, so I just have to sit with my anxiety. And I tell them, no, you're not sitting with anything. You're acting with it. You're operating with it. You're getting on with life with the anxiety and proving that you can do that. So I think that's a big part of the grit, you know, that you were talking about before, Jason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, another way that I like, like looking at it too is finding that like, okay, let's say someone has the value that going to church is very important to them on Sunday for their quality of life, their spirituality. I want them to be able to go to church, yeah. but their contamination fears is preventing them from going to church. So if we could use the value oriented behavior that they want to do in order, okay, this is our goal. Our goal is for you to be able to sit through a whole Sunday service with your family. Yep. So we are going to orient these behaviors with that, with that goal, with that specific goal in mind. Um, I think it could be a very powerful way to get people more motivated. And then you're also helping increase the behaviors that are important to them. Even if you're not doing that and you're just treating their contamination, you were unlocking them so they could go to church yeah, and, and, and do it. But, um, you know, but this could be, I want to be able to go to the park with my son, but, but right now I'm so scared that he's going to get hurt that I can't, I can't go to the park and that, that I, 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 it's going to make me feel like a great dad if I could do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and the, the patient's going to say, but if I go to church, if I go to the park, I'm going to be anxious the whole time. And you know what you say as a therapist? Yeah, you might be. But you're going to do it. You're going to show up and you're going to learn that you can do it even when you're going to, when you're anxious. You're going to do it anxious. You're going to do it scared. And that gets back to what you said before. Anyone can go to the park if they're not scared. But it takes a lot of bravery to do it when you are afraid. Anyone can go to church if it's not if it's not scary for them. But you know, if you're going and and you're contaminated, that's you know now we're talking. Now we're getting somewhere. And so I I don't care if they're anxious or not. I don't say it that way, but I don't care if they're anxious or not. I want them to. I, they'll get more out of it if they are anxious. They'll see that, you know what? I was anxious, and either my anxiety went away and I was fine, or my anxiety didn't go away and I got through it. And I learned that I can get through it. And if and I did the thing I wanted to do, I, and I, and more importantly, I did the thing I wanted to do. Yeah, I showed up for it. Yeah, I got yeah. my son to the park, and he had a great time. And that, yeah. and, and I haven't been able to do that for for a year. That's huge. Or, or six months. So yeah, that, that's huge for people. Yeah. Um, medication versus treatment without medication versus just medication alone. Where do you fall on that? Um, well, let's start there. Yeah, I think that um, overall the research suggests that you know again the averages medication is not as effective as exposure and response prevention. There have been a number of studies head to head and at best they're equivalent. Um, but for the most part, the, you know, the, the relative efficacy of, of medications is lower than it is for, for, uh, exposure. That said, I know lots of people who come in to, you know, for an evaluation and 
they are on medication and it has saved the day. And that's great. Um, and I wouldn't change a thing. I would never counsel someone to come off medication if it was helping them. Um, personally, as a clinical psychologist, not surprisingly, based on our conversation, I, I think that it's, people are better off when they learn that, that they don't have to be afraid or take a drug for anxiety or OCD. But you know what? Uh, not everybody thinks the way I do. And I respect that. And I think that that's totally fine. If you want to take medicine and it's working for you, the main thing is that it, it, it works for you. Um, so there are plenty of people that take medications without anything else and they do great and that's fine. Often what happens is they're taking a medication and sometimes, you know, there's a jump start and folks are doing really well. And then when we see them in our clinic, sometimes the medication has kind of not, it's, it stopped working or it's never really got them all the way home. And so they want more. They want something more. And, and I do see a lot of evidence from clinical experience and also research that if you're on medications and you're, you're not happy with where that's gotten you, you can do cognitive behavioral approaches, primarily, um, you know, ERP, and, and that will help you to, to do even better. It doesn't work the other way around. If you're doing ERP and that hasn't been helpful, usually taking a medicine is not going to jumpstart um, the, the, the ERP. Again, you can, you know, if you're a clinician out there uh, watching this or listening to this, you could probably find an example that goes against what I'm saying because anecdotes are, are out there. But by and large, that's generally not what happens. Um, should you use both? You know, the common adage is two heads are better than one. I... I'm not sure that applies to the OCD literature. The, the well-conducted studies suggest that exposure therapy is just as good as you don't get an advantage for adding medicine to exposure. That exposure therapy is just as good as the, as the combined treatment. There are a couple of really well done, carefully controlled studies. They're a little older now. Um, that, that suggests that. But again, a lot of this is trial and error. People are people. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody responds to medications different. People respond to, um, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral uh, interventions differently. So uh, sometimes it just comes down to trial and error. But in the name of clinical science, psychological science, we we do want to, you know, keep track of the literature. And we do want to you know, have our first guesses be based on the on the literature mm -hmm. and then go from there. Do you, if you have a client that that's working with you, I mean, yeah. do you and I and, and now we're getting into like your own personal approach. Will you yeah. recommend a psych evalu uh, a, a psychiatric medication evalu evaluation at some point if the exposures aren't doing what you're hoping that they will do? Yeah. So if if someone if we've done exposure and I feel like we've done it really well, and um, either they're having trouble doing the exposure, or We've done it and it just hasn't gotten them. We've done it well and it just hasn't gotten them all the way home. And, and I'm kind of throwing up my hands. Well, you know, we've been meeting for, you know, a, a good trial of exposure therapy. This is what, what I can offer. Sure. Yeah. Let, let's, let's try something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then there, there are some people. But, and, and by oh. the way, I'll just say I've, I've recommended people for ACT before. I've recommended people for ICBT, um, before who weren't able to, you know, do exposure therapy. These are all treatments that have some support. And if the first line intervention doesn't work, you try them. Absolutely. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, because there might yeah. be a different pathway that this person needs activated in, yeah. in order to get the results um, 
that right. we're looking just just because something works for most people doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody. Exactly. And I think when you like everybody, well, not everybody, most people are taking headache medication, and there's some people that take Advil, there's some people that take Aleve, <laughs> there's some people that take Tylenol, and you know which one that you take. Yeah. Because you know that that one works for you. But if you think about it, Aleve and Advil are both NSAIDs, like they're cousins. Right. Um, as as are the the medications that work for OCD. They're a lot of them are like the me too drugs. The different drug companies all wanted to have an SSRI. Mm -hmm. um, and there's debate in the field about how much of their effects are placebos and versus, you know, cause serotonin doesn't really seem to have much to do with OCD and, and what the research suggests. So our serotonin reuptake inhibitors are really curing OCD by changing serotonin reuptake. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could be a cascade effect, but I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of, possibilities um they, there there are some clients that you come across that are are like exposure would work for them but they might not be a great great candidate and i'm thinking like a teenager that is adhd they know they have ocd they don't want to do the exposure they don't uh, you know it, it's like it's like trying to wrestle a crocodile i have no clue why i said that but <laughs> it's like trying to wrestle a crocodile and they just don't want to do it. Uh, in those yeah. cases, sometimes um, that what's important is that they get better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people don't want to do it. I, you know, in, in the initial session, I usually talk about the pros and cons of medicines. If someone hasn't had treatment before, which is the rarity, right? Most people have, usually they've, they've had drugs, right? They've had medications first. But sometimes people have never had treatment before. This is the first time they've been diagnosed. We talk about the pros and cons of both. I'm very open about that, because I want the person to get help, even if they don't do my, you know, my therapy, exposure and response prevention, what I, my bread and butter, I, w I want them to get help. So you tell me what sounds good to you and we'll make it happen. If, if you want a referral, I'm happy to give you a referral. Yeah. Talking about getting better, what does treated OCD actually look like? Great question. Um, it can range. So for the most part, you know, as we talked about, you know, way back, you know, in, in episode one, everyone has unwanted thoughts and everyone has ritualistic behavior sometimes. So it is not an absence of those things and nor is it an absence of anxiety or uncertainty or feelings of disgust or whatever. I think I would define treated OCD uh, as where the person has a healthier relationship with their intrusive thoughts, with their anxiety, with their uncertainty, and where they have the confidence that when those things show up for them, they don't have to avoid or push them away or do rituals, but they can continue doing the important things, the valued activities in their life, despite those guys showing up, those unwanted guests I guess, showing up, they, I'm going to put it in my back pocket and I'm going out with my friends, right? Or I'm going to watch that TV show, even though I'm having that thought and this thing, it might, might bug me, but it's not going to bully me into changing my routine. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a good outcome. You do have some people that like, they never think about pedophilia again. I, I, I would think that's the rarity. And I don't think people are being completely truthful when they if they report that. Um, but, you know, you can see, or you usually will see a reduction in anxiety and in intrusive thoughts, because once you're not so worried about them, those things have a tendency of kind of calming down. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, and we all get anxious sometimes. We all have intrusive thoughts. So we want to be better at those things, not better at making them go away. Yeah. And I think your point there is the more that you don't want to think something, the more you're going to think it. 
Um, and so you know the, the actual frequency of the thinking of the thought goes down, the less you care about thinking about it, which is, you know, sounds a bit, par- a bit paradoxical. So the goal is not to n- never have the thought. Right. The goal is to have a managed ping, getting pinged yeah, from the thought. I, I like that. Yeah. And then yeah. not behaving in the OCD compulsive manner or the avoidant manner when you do get pinged. Yeah, I I did an initial assessment with with someone just a couple weeks ago, who had unwanted um, thoughts. They were married and they had unwanted thoughts, uh, um, sexual thoughts about you know other other people, right? Again, I mean, like we all we all have that. Don't tell my wife, but we all have those thoughts sometimes. It's just the way that it goes. Doesn't mean that I'm not in love with my wife. My wife is wonderful, um, but this person said. Um, you know, you got to help me make these thoughts go away. And, and like, so that I never have them. And and I said, well, you know, I, I, that'd be nice, but that's just not, I'm sorry. That's just not, it doesn't work that way. You're, you know, and, and in fact, tr- having that agenda, trying to make that happen is actually going to make them worse for you. And he was like, I think our session's over. I got to find someone else who can help me to do that. And I wished him luck. Um, but there are people who have that, idea that that that's the goal and uh it's just it's not because we don't have the techniques to make it work it's because it can't work (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. it's 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 an impossible goal yeah and sometimes when you have someone like that you know i'll say like all right well why don't you try the treatment with me for a while see if you feel like you're getting better and then if the exposure is working and their pings are getting less the idea of being able to tolerate having these thoughts goes up so yeah. the idea of living a life and having them um, becomes a more tolerable uh, thinking. That doesn't always work. Um, no, this this guy was. What, you know, I, I tried all that stuff. This guy wasn't hearing it, um, mm-hmm. and and it, you know, just with this person in particular, it became clear that the more I tried to, you know, double down, the more he was just kind of um, doubling down on his position. And finally, you know, I I, I kind of said something like that. Wow, I, I I wonder if this is a good match. Um, if yep. it's going to be a good match, because you know I could see every session turning into a an argument, mm-hmm. right? How come it hasn't gone away? Well, that's not the goal. Well, but it should be, and uh, and he was the one who suggested um, maybe I'm not in the right place. <laughs> uh, what I wanted to say was I don't think you'll ever find that person, and if someone tells you that they they can do that, they don't know what they're talking about. But that's up that's up to him to find out. Natural mm-hmm. consequences. Yeah, I think the story that John Grayson told me, who's a big OCD guy, was he had someone that was working with another therapist. Uh, they recommended he go go see John, and uh, he's in his his OCD was around his family dying, his wife and kids. And John said to him, "Well, the goal here is for you to be okay with the idea that your family has the possibility of dying because that that's just the the reality of it." Yeah. And the guy said, "Nope." What? <laughs> Never came back. Like, absolutely not. That's not a good yeah. thing. And then, then he didn't come back. So, yeah, you'll yeah. definitely find people who are not ready for um, the, the base of the treatment in order to do it. But they might not be ready yet. Right. And just to clarify, it, we're not talking about being okay with your family dying. That would be tragic and, and, and awful and terrible. And you would get through it. And eventually, most people will find a way. And this does happen, unfortunately. They find a way to survive. But what Grayson was talking about probably was okay with the idea that it could happen. Yes. And now that we're talking about, I don't know if you have a family, but I sure do. And I would, just that thought just went through my head. And of course, I'm okay with the idea of it because, I mean, I, I'm an OCD specialist, so I know that. Mm-hmm. But most people are okay with the idea. In fact, 
books and movies and stories have been written about those very things by people who are cashing in on these terrible ideas and all of that. Of course, most people are okay with the idea. It's not a fun idea, but we got, we, you're right. We got to be okay with the, the possibility of, I mean, or, or else what, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't eliminate that. Yeah, well, well, we we have to live in the world of probable, not possible. Exactly. Yep, and I think I think that sums it up there. Yeah, is it possible that something bad could happen to your family? Yes, it's not probable. So then we have to live our life in the world of of, of probable. But some people want there to be no possibility of the outcome of what they're looking for, and that's one mechanism that we're trying to work with. That's the uncertainty tolerance of. Being yeah. able to have that uncertainty that the thing that's possible, because anything is possible, the, the moon might be a dragon egg. That's a Doctor Who reference. But, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, I don't know. It could be. How do we not yeah. know? It's not a space dragon egg. Um, right. Anything is possible. In Manhattan, you could walk down the street and an um, uh, air conditioning unit could fall out the window, and that could be it. Yep. Uh, it happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but we walk around knowing that the, that the probability is low, even though it's possible. So it's living improbable and not possible. Yeah. Um, okay. Any, um, any last thoughts about OCD treatment, what it looks like when someone has successfully treated OCD? It's not that it's completely gone. You know what? I, I will make one last thought. I often give back pain as a, as a, as an example, cause a lot of us have lower back pain and it's something where like, you know, the back pain is going to be there. It might be there all the time. Sometimes it might be pretty low that you don't realize it. It's going to get triggered. And then you need, and then you know the things to do in order to get it back under control. And that's how I view what treated OCD we, we hope will look like, even though people don't necessarily always get all the way to there. Yeah. Yeah. To see those obsessions as a nuisance, the uncertainty as a nuisance, right? Like, like pain would be uh, instead of a bully, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay home and not do anything because my back hurts versus, you know what? My back hurts, but it's my, it's a, a wedding that I have to go to today. And I'm, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to show up for that. And I might, I might feel some discomfort, but I'm going to, I might feel more than some, I might feel a lot of discomfort, but I'm showing up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, and that, that is the treatment for, I worked at Mayo Clinic for several years before I came to North Carolina. And that is exactly the treatment for, for pain as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so any last thoughts about treatment? No. It's hard it pretty well. for, for folks who might be, you know, tuning in who uh, are, uh, starting or uh, veterans of doing this because I, I, it's hard. I I don't. I've been doing this for a long time. I know a lot about. It, written books about it. I don't. Not all of my patients get better by a long shot. Um, you know, a lot of them do, but but there are plenty who don't. And it's just it's hard. Everyone has their own unique presentation, and uh, you know, we do the best that we can and. Uh, it's, it, it's challenging. It's, but it's fun. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's fun. And even if the person doesn't get as, as better as you want them to, uh, most times people will say that they learned something from the therapy. If you're doing it well, they've learned something, even if it's just that everyone has intrusive thoughts and that I can manage uncertainty. I don't have to be worried about this. They might have a hard time actually doing it, but they've learned something new. Um, you know, I guess which is which is something, but it's this is a challenging field. I think any psychotherapy is challenging, but um, man, OCD, it's challenging, but it's fun and it's you know it's it's often rewarding. Mm. 
Um, talking about the power of learning, when you have someone come in that doesn't know they have OCD and they think that they're the only one that's scared that they might be a pedophile, and you say, no, you're a dime a dozen that have walked through my door, and, and, and this is something <laughs> that I, I mean, that could be so oh, yeah. relieving. Yeah. Knowing. We, yeah. We, we often overlook how important psychoeducation is because we're the therapists, we know it. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you have someone who's naive about this stuff and you, you teach them all about this, that's, that's huge. That's, that's a, that's a big gain right there. Yeah. Oh, you mean I'm not, you mean, and I'll sometimes self disclose my own thoughts that, that, that I have. Um, mm-hmm. you know, again, if someone's kind of really having trouble kind of grasping it, um, yeah, you know, sometimes what would you think? You know, the person saying, I'm, I'm a bad person because I think about, you know, an extramarital affair, right? Um, well, you know, have you done it? Well, no, right? And I would say, well, what would you say if, if, uh, if I told you that sometimes I have thoughts about, you know, I see an attractive woman at the beach or the mall or something and I had some sort of thought about that. Am I, Am I cheating on my wife? Am I a bad person? You know, um, and and again, it just kind of shows that everybody has these thoughts. Even your therapist has those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's probably nor- norm- normalization is such a powerful. I, I think we learned that like day one of grad school, right? Yeah. Um, but then we we get so we learn about like different techniques and this, that, and the other. And I think sometimes we overlook some of the fent- fundamentals of and the power of normalization. Being empathetic, being a good human in the room, being caring, having regard for people, um, sending big. someone an email and, and saying, I, "I know today was your was, was your your due date." Um, you know, I hope all is well. I hope the baby is well, and and the power of, of relationship and things like that. Um, yeah. Jumping off OCD, but um, yeah. okay, is, is there any um, um, resources that you could recommend? Any any books that that you think people should read if they want to learn more? Well, so first of all, the the International OCD Foundation is really that's the flagship organization for you know information education about OCD. They have an awesome conference um, in the summer. It's in person, and then there's one in the fall that they've been having that's that's online. That's really a great place to go for resources, and you can send patients there and students and uh, and all that. Um, there are, you know, there are lots of books for, for clinicians and, and for, for patients as well. I've written some myself, um, but there, you know, yeah, there are lots of good materials out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess look, looking at some of your stuff, do you, do you have any books that you had written that you recommend or anything that's coming out soon? Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I'm shy about like just tooting my own horn, but, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I've, I feel like I've written a couple of good ones. So the, there's a book called Getting Over OCD, like a, a 10 step workbook for taking back your life or something like that. But Getting Over OCD is, there's two editions. There's a, the first edition, second edition. Get the second edition because that's updated with all the latest stuff about ACT and, and exposure and, and all of that that came out a few years ago. Um, like right before COVID, I think. Uh, then I've, I've also written one for families. It's called the family guide to getting over OCD. And it's for families, um, who have relatives who have OCD and like, how do I support my, my loved one? I'm working on a book now. These are all published by Guilford Press and Guilford. They, they come to me and they say, Hey, your book's doing really well. You want to write, you know, a family guide to OCD. So then they came to me, um, a couple of years ago and they said, what about like kind of like what we were talking about that not everybody gets over OCD, whether they, 
don't they're they're for one reason or another they don't do treatment they you know maybe they're afraid or they're they don't they just don't have access to it or they've tried it and it hasn't worked um let's write a book for those people because unfortunately there are many probably more people who have not had treatment or not had successful treatment for ocd than people who have been successfully treated mm. um and so this one is going to be about how do i live with ocd and it's not about like how do i how do i um perfect my compulsions, but it's more about like, how do I communicate with folks about OCD? I'm working on a chapter about like, it's called OCD in the bedroom, right? How do you, how do you manage that in, in your relationship? Um, so, you know, communication patterns, family relationships, how do you come out with OCD? How do you talk to others? How do you let people at work know? What are some of the things you need to know about work and the law around discrimination, around mental health things and stuff like that? That's all going to be in there. So that book is a little over halfway done. I'm supposed to have it done by the end of the, by end of, the end of 2024. No, I think I'm supposed to have it done by the summer of 2024. Um, and then, you know, it usually takes nine months or so. So hopefully a year from now, maybe that's, that's coming out. That'll be really exciting. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that that's a, a great book. Cause as you said, not everybody gets, gets better with our treatments, even though they're great treatments. There's some people that need to live with residual symptoms. And what do you do then? Exactly. And, and in, there's no place in this book where it says you should do exposure and response prevention. It's, that's described as a treatment, but then it's like, okay, let's assume you're not doing that. How do we get by? How do we live with, with OCD? And, um, I, I'm glad they asked me to do that because again, I, I have found lots of folks, as we just talked about, who either they don't want to do the, the therapy or it just for whatever reason, it hasn't worked for them. Well, you know, we don't just say give up, you know, we, we keep trying, but they could use some, some skills for how do I manage life? How do I live? It's probably, I think it's going to be called living well with OCD, basically. Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm I'm really enthusiastic about writing that. No, that that sounds like a great. Uh, it's going to be a great resource. Well, John, thanks again for bringing your brilliance on the show and spending <laughs> quite a bit of time with us. My uh, pleasure, today. Jason. Always fun to talk about this stuff. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Yep, and hopefully we'll have you on some for some other topics like we were discussing uh, earlier. So TBD and stay tuned. Sounds good.